This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's all about disability rights and support. On Listen, Our Voices Count, with host Roger Marsden, next on Community Access Radio, Plains FM. Hello, this is Sam Wiskett on Crisis Community Radio Team, Plains FM 96.9, to host Roger Marsden. Here with me is Crisis City Councillor Aaron Quinn. Hi Aaron, nice for you to join me. Introduce your t- self, tell me and the people listening, let them know about Aaron. Well, Hi, Roger. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm, a, like you say, city councillor here in Christchurch. Uh, I represent the Herewood Ward. Uh, I'm also privileged enough to be on the Christchurch District Health Board, which I think is um, quite a good synergy between uh, the two two roles because, I mean, there's a lot in common between the two roles and uh, I'm lucky enough now to actually be the uh, chair of the Disability Committee at council as well as at health board, uh, which probably is what brings me here today to speak to you. Maybe it could be, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sort sort of gone through the debate. What were you what were you try to do with the disability community? Uh, I think as a society we've got to change the way we look at the disability community. Um I've thought about this long and hard for a long time. I had a, a friend of mine when I was uh, younger. I was at my early days of high school, uh, and uh, he he was in a wheelchair. And so it gave me an introduction to uh, people with disability. I was in a wheelchair myself at the time because I'd had an operation, but I was only there for a few weeks, and uh, he was there for his whole life. And I remember going into, um, we were at Burwood Hospital, and we went into the um, the chapel there, and uh, I was a young Christian fella, and I said to my friend Robin, um, Robin Gillespie's his name, some people will know him, he's a country music singer and things, and uh, I said to Robin, shall we pray that you can get up and walk? And uh, Robin said, no. And I thought, what? Don't you want to walk? You're in a wheelchair. And he's like, no, no, I've never walked in my life. Why do I want to walk? And it just it blew my mind that I was projecting on him the way I saw the world and I thought that everyone wanted to be like me. But some people don't want to be like other people. They're happy with who they are. And so it changed my entire perspective on the way, and it's one of those things, one of those moments in your life where you constantly think about, and it took me years to work it out, like literal years, uh, and uh, to understand his perspective. But now now I do. Um, and I look at disability quite different to most people. Um, I struggle with the dis bit at the start because the dis is disability. So there's some abilities you don't have or they don't work the yeah. same. But the way nature works and the universe works or the gifts that God gives us, whatever, means that you will have other abilities and sometimes they'll be undiscovered that will be better than other people's. Like a blind person generally can hear better than most. They can hear a whole lot of stuff that most people don't actually take notice of because they're building their universe through what they can hear, smell and touch. And so their other senses have ramped up 
But as a society, we always look at people with disabilities and uh, sometimes we'll feel sorry for them or we'll kind of go put them in a box and say, well, you're only good enough for this, this and this because of what you can't do. We don't kind of look at it the complete opposite and go, well, what can you do because you're better at me at some things? And so we need to, as a society, uh, look at, um, flip the way we look at disability, look at it as an asset and uh, make our society uh, and value those people uh, a lot more. You know, disabled people are paid a third less than everyone else. And uh, I want that to be one of the things, on average, that is, uh, uh, that we address. Um, And we do that by finding the talents of people with disability and making them more of a value to society. And every single day, I'll see gaps in society where disabled people could be employed with value. Not employed because you feel like you need to give them a job, but you're giving them a job with value because they can do it better than someone else. And I see see those gaps every single day. What are you going to do this time off you have? Uh, So... Luckily, becoming the chair of disability at Health Board and at Council has given me a little bit of um, leadway to be able to actually do some stuff. Rather than you just got to sit back on a community and a committee, sorry, and raise questions and say, "Oh, well, well what about this? Has the disability community been considered for uh, whether it's a, a travel issue or it's a housing issue or whatever?" We can actually um, raise whatever we want. Because I'm the chair. So it's fantastic. And so coming up, uh, I believe it's next month, we're having a, our first hui at council. We're, so we're going to have a meeting. Um, we're inviting Minister Cipollone. Uh, and there's a there's a good thing here for, um, she's the Minister for, for Disability, that A, she's a rollover from the previous term, which is good. It's not just a portfolio that's been, Shuffled on to someone else who doesn't want it. She's got yeah. yeah. So as a council, uh, we want to, and as the committee at Health Board, we want to build a relationship with her and trial some stuff in Christchurch. Say to her, "Hey, look, what are your projects? What are the stuff that you want to achieve as well? Here's what we want to do. What synergies do we have? How do we work together?" And she's also now the minister for ACC, and I think there's there's a good balance there. Uh, so we're inviting her. If she can, and if she can't make it, we'll just do it again. We'll just uh, keep keep working with her. So we're going to have an open door to her office. Uh, and we just want to make, the goal is to make Christchurch the most livable place for people with disability. Now, it's a flat city with a mild climate. So it should be a very easy place for people with disability to live. Uh, it, it should have, it's got quite a modern built environment, so it should be easy to get around. You're shaking your head because you are correct. It's not. We've gone through a massive rebuild and often we look back and we get audits done of our builds, whether they're in the public domain or it's a building, and then kind of go, oh, this, this and this are wrong, uh, even though it passed uh, an, an audit in, in the design phase. So once again, that for me goes back to people with disability not being employed in key roles. If more architect firms, more um, uh, uh, joinery firms or or whatever firms 
employed people with disability, you wouldn't build stuff that was so flawed because you'd just go to Roger and you'd go, hey, Roger, we're looking at these plans for the town hall. Does this work for you? Um, seems to it, it legally passes everything. And you'd go, yeah, but that's not best practice because of this, this and this. And you'd see it on the plans and they'd go, brilliant, thanks. And so when the place opens, you then don't get the disability community coming back to you going, oh, we've got all these problems. Uh, and I had it raised with me two days ago about the... Um, Library, the Tūranga building, and uh, and the size of the doors up there, because they meet code, but code is seven sixty for a door with for disability. And when the building was being built, and I saw the framing, I went and measured it, and I said to the, um, b- the our staff at council, I said the doors here are just, I mean they they part, and they said yeah they pass code, and I said why can't we go for best practice, which. Um, uh, Paralympic.org would say is a metre and the UK use uh, almost that. Uh, we've got the second narrowest doors in the world and uh, they said, oh no, the architects wanted all the doors the same so they've made them so everything matches. Doesn't give you best practice and uh, it doesn't fit a bariatric chair, for instance. Um, someone on sticks might need more room uh, going uh, through. So let's start building to best practice, not minimum of code is the problem and everyone will say that they pass an audit on their plans and yes you do pass an audit but you're not best practice and that's what we have to aim to as a society so that's part of what our uh, who is about next month so they have good how are you doing to ensure what are you doing to ensure have People with the disability have equal impact on terrain in the COVID world. Wow. Um, in the COVID world. Uh, I don't get a say in that at this point as far as I'm aware. Um, I've seen the Australian rollout plan for a COVID vaccination and uh, I'm assuming the New Zealand one will be very similar. What the updates we've had at Health Board is that it will be, and I'd seen the Australian one after we had the update, but that the first people to get the vaccine here will be um, frontline workers, so it's the same as Australia, uh, because you, they're the ones most likely to pass it on to the community, um, and you also, if everyone gets sick, you need them still alive and working. Uh, so frontline workers first, then your most vulnerable, so your, your over 80s um, people, not necessarily anyone with disability, but the ones that have uh, multiple complications will be front of line. So that's kind of how it goes. And the Australian one has no one under 18 being vaccinated unless uh, necessary. So that would be um, people who may have any complications under the age of 18, but uh, for some reason they're not vaccinating under that age. I'm assuming if they're going to travel, they would. Um, like when you have to... If you're going to South America or something, you've got to get a whole lot of shots. Uh, Pre-COVID, I'm assuming after COVID, if you're going to travel, you're going to have to get shots. So given the number of Kiwis that travel, I think everyone's getting shots. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's that's the only uh, parts of COVID that I've seen as in regards to uh, the disability sector. I mean, to be honest, I think we'll get through COVID. Uh, for me, it's it's not the end of the world. Um you know, 1.7 million people died last year, or 175 died of COVID. That's terrible. For me, every death of any sort is terrible. But 1.7 million people die every year of dysentery, and that's completely solvable. That's all about 
um, good water and good sewage. Uh, yet the people, the 1.7 million that are dying of dysentery aren't in our country and they don't look like us. And uh, so the world doesn't care. It doesn't make the news. Uh, and for me, it should. Um, and because every life lost, no matter how you lose a life, is, is important. And uh, a lot of people die every single year. Um, the biggest killer is heart disease. kills 14 million people. So not quite 10 times COVID, but <clears throat> still doesn't make the news much either. A music break for today is Water Song by Elton John. Holy Moses, I have been removed. I have seen the spectre. He has been here too. Distant cousin from down the line. Brand of people who ain't my This is the Outboys Scout and Crisis Community Radio Station. Plains FM 96.9 with Howard Roger. Welcome back, Aaron. Aaron, why did a lot of people vote for you? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, you always think about this each election. Uh, I do a lot in my community so I you meet and know a lot of people um, you go to a lot of events those kind of things um, get you uh, elected or and then re-elected uh, 
tried not to make as many mistakes um, as I had in the past. I find if you're too outspoken, you can get yourself unelected. Uh, so you've got to be a little bit careful there as well. Um, there was a couple of key issues in my ward that I'd stood up for um, around uh, a particular intersection as, as one, Hewitt Breen's Gardeners, uh, which was never my idea to fix the intersection. It was a mother of some children that she couldn't let them walk to school because they had to cross six lanes of traffic. Uh, and she felt it wasn't safe. Uh, I went and had a look at the intersection. It wasn't safe. So uh, people, and then I started looking at the crash data and so on and so forth. So that became a bit of a campaign and uh, and it resonated with the people of my ward. So um, the last election I uh, romped in, I think I may have even got the second most votes in the city. So uh, yeah, yeah, it just, if, I felt maybe just representing the people in a way uh, that, um, they agree with uh, helps you get votes. So I always see being elected as it's my job to facilitate the way people want to live, not dictate to people the way I want them to live. And I think that councils are doing a bit too much of that. They're saying everyone should bike or everyone should catch the bus or everyone should use less water or everyone should do... I don't see that as our role. I think if people are going to drive, if we want to get carbon emissions down, we have to make traffic flow. Uh, it's not our job to tell people or us can deliberately congest traffic so people will want to catch the bus. No, you put on a good bus service and people who want to catch the bus will catch the bus and they catch the bus for various reasons. But bus numbers have dropped and they're going to spend uh, twice as much money over the next 10 years on buses. There'll be double the number of buses but only have a 40% increase in patronage, which means that you're actually creating more carbon with buses than reducing. So that kind of makes no sense. There's other ways to do transport, and some of the revolutions in the last few years have been things like scooters and e-bikes. And if anyone was to ask me right now, say they arrived from another part of the world and had no idea about our transport system, ask me how to get around, I'd say get an e-bike. It is by far the cheapest way to travel for anyone. Uh, it makes, it, of all the new um, uh, environmentally sustainable ways to travel, an e-bike is by far the most sustainable, and the bike itself will pay for its pay for itself in less than a year. Uh, a car can't do that, an electric car can't do that, a bus won't do that, and a, and a regular push bike is quite a bit of hard work. So, uh, And we're quite a large city, we're quite spread out. We're not like Amsterdam where people, uh, you know, um, the density's a lot, lot higher, and that's another reason why buses will never work here. Buses are an, an essential service, so you get your base service right, and whether it's still having the 40-seater buses driving around all over the place more than three-quarter empty all the time, or is it a more personalised service? And when you look at things like Uber in the recent years, you kind of have to ask, well, that's what happened to taxis. So why aren't we saying to young, smart people, how do you want to travel? How are we going to make that work? Don't assume they want to catch a bus or they want to ride a bike or drive a car. Let's work out how people are going to travel, where they need to get to, and how do we make that the most efficient possible. And I think councils do too much of the opposite of they decide for you and then tell you how you're going to do it. For example, how would people with disability use a e-bike? Um, well, it depends 
an e-bike depends on which disability it is. Um, certainly, yeah. if you, if you're blind, uh, it, an e-bike or a car or whatever isn't really going to work. You'd have to have only a low level of uh, sight loss uh, because there's legal implications to that, and your own safety, of course. Um, uh, and then, but someone. Um, if, if you're deaf, using an e-bike's still pretty simple. Um, there's also motorised scooters and things, and why they're not allowed in bike lanes, I've got no idea. I, people do use them, and good on them. But uh, uh, it's just things like that, is that there's so many ways to travel. How do we embrace all of them? Uh, and uh, are we spending the money the best way we could? And I don't think we are. Um, there's the uh, the disability taxi service. I don't think is good enough. We've had reports recently to our committee that it's not reliable, especially in evenings. And the sheer number, uh, if you get like peak summer season when there might be weddings on and stuff like that, is there enough of those available at eleven o'clock at night? An able-bodied person has got many options to get home. Uh, someone with a, a disability or a severe disability is very limited. For me, that's not equity in travel. So it's just about creating equity and how do we deliver that model. So rather than spending tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on a bus service that 2.2% of the population are using, look at the most vulnerable part of the population and say, how do we travel them around? And it's probably more on-demand service. So you're kind of going, rather than just run the bus all the way on the chance that someone might get on it, find out who actually needs to be on it and run the service when it's needed. And that's where disability kicks in a lot more is that they need a better on-demand service. And uh, and maybe we have universal charging for transport uh, where it's a little bit like housing, that transport shouldn't cost anyone more than this percentage of their income. If you're on a particular income, uh, then you it shouldn't cost you more than that to get around. Um, different when you you know, and you could be a disabled person that writes great books or or as a CEO of a company, and you're on hundreds of thousands of dollars. They can travel however they want, but um, if you're uh, on a very limited income, then we need to make sure that your life is as accessible as someone on a reasonable to a good income. Forget the top end. They can do whatever they want because, you know, they've mostly earned the right to pay for stuff however they want to. But for the rest of us, people need access to uh, to services. And what do those services look like? So I'm keen to keep exploring that because I think the system we have is not working as well as it could. I was in the remake of Christchurch Hospital Disability Friendly at the start when I was disabled person's assembly crisis present. Has it changed? Has what changed, sorry, Roger? The ward. The new design in Waipapa? Uh, it has. Um, I haven't seen an audit um, back to the Disability Committee yet on its functionality to see how well it's worked. I had some questions when we did the tour before it opened, and for me one was around the bathrooms or the toilets. Uh, and uh, and so every floor we went to, every part of the wards we went to, I'd say, oh, where are the disability toilets um, or the accessible toilets? Because we'd go around and say men's, ladies and that, and I'd be thinking, is uh, are they universal? Which for me, a hospital, all bathrooms should be universal, um, that they are. Otherwise, it's 
to me, it's built prejudice. You're saying, oh, no, no, the disabled people go around the corner. They go and use those toilets. Well, imagine if we did that for, um, for people based on the colour of your skin. Uh, the world used to do that uh, once upon a time. Not all countries, but a number did. Said people with a particular coloured skin will use those bathrooms around there. Well, as a society, we still do it with the disabled community. And yeah, to go I, through the back door. Yeah, and I really question Been, that. Yeah, done that. Yep. And uh, and bathrooms are still the same. So, for me, uh, the Waipapa building gets a fail on the bathrooms. Um, the functionality of the disability bathrooms. I'm looking for feedback, and uh, haven't had any complaints. So that's normally a good sign. But uh, all of the bathrooms should have been fully accessible. Uh, should have been. It should be a standard design, basic now in a hospital at least. You know, if not everywhere. What do you do in your spare time, Mary? Work. Um, I I quite like work, so I have around five jobs, um, and uh, so I I have a family, so I'm married and have children, so I take my kids to work, um, and. Ever since I was a little kid, I always, I always liked work. So I got my first job when I was 11. I uh, worked in a fruit and veggie shop six days a week. And then after that, had paper runs, worked in a dairy and stuff. And then when I got to 15, lo and behold, I left school and, and worked. And so I've never not worked. Uh, I've uh, never been on a benefit other than ACC when I've broken bones and things. Uh, so they're the only times I've kind of not worked because you can still do some stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I enjoy work. Um, I host a murder mystery show on weekends in the evenings. I sing in a band um, on weekends in the evening as well. So I work pretty much every weekend of the year. And then you've got council staff and I've got health board staff and community board and, uh, and I'm working on a project at the moment with a friend of mine to build a mini golf course. Uh, and we're making it accessible. So I've spent my break um, making, uh, having to invent something that when you played the hole in mini golf, uh, you didn't have to then, if you're in a chair on sticks, reverse your way back out and then take a separate path around to play the next hole. Because normally in mini golf, you stand at one end, you hit the ball to the other, it goes down a hole, yeah. you step over the wall because it has to have a wall yeah. around it to stop the balls going everywhere, and then you just start on the next hole. And uh, But if you're in a wheelchair, you can't, step over the wall and so I've come up with a contraption that you can just that it works as a wall but there's one section and I've made it 900 might stretch it to a meter but I've gone for 900 Roger not 760 and uh, <laughs> that you just hit with your wheelchair and it folds down and you roll straight over it out of the hole and it just pops back up and the next people can play uh, and then there's uh, so I had to invent that myself uh, which was took a little bit but it wasn't impossible um, because I couldn't find anything that does it. Uh, so as far as I know, we'll be the first to do that. And then the other one is, and I didn't invent this myself, is that when you get to the hole, you have a flag sticking up out the hole with a plastic cup that then you can just reach out if you're in a chair and lift it up and the ball's there and then you just put it, the flag back down. I saw that on a video the other day and thought, I've got to get those because I hadn't considered the getting the ball out the hole. So if someone... you so. In my system, you couldn't have had two people in a chair play if one of them couldn't reach to below ground level. So uh, that's now solved. Um, so if anyone else thinks of any problems we might have at a mini golf site, then let me know. 
So it was the, the in and out. And then we're not going to put all the obstacles in the way that you couldn't get a chair through, like a lot of the mini golf holes. Um, I've seen some ones that call themselves accessible overseas, but it's you're playing from the outside. And I kind of think, well, if your ball's on the other side and you're right-handed, you're now expecting someone in a chair to go to the other side and play left-handed, which, once again, is built prejudice. You would have, on our one, you have to play in the hole and uh, if you're going to play in a chair or on sticks. So um, <clears throat> we're looking forward to making that uh, a reality. Well, thank you for joining me, Aaron, in on the Voices account. Thank you to my sponsor, Identity Tours, Avis and Doug, for having faith in me. This is our Voices account can be heard on Facebook and plainsfm.org.nz. Also, Wellington Access Radio. <laughs> Oh, the nation